So he said, rousing the swineherd, who, laying his hands on his sandals, fastened them under his feet to depart for the city. Athena did not ignore Eumaeus, the swineherd, leaving the farmstead, but she approached quite near. She had likened her form to a woman beautiful, noble in stature, and skilled in glorious handwork. Outside the door of the hut she stood and appeared to Odysseus. Nor did Telemachus look at her head on, nor did he know her, for in no way do the gods make manifest showing to all men. It was Odysseus who saw, and the dogs too. They were not barking, whining in fear. They slunk to the farthest side of the farmstead. She with her brows made a signal, and noble Odysseus perceived it. He came out of the house, outside the great wall of the farmyard, then stood close to her side, and in these words Athena addressed him. Zeus sprung child of Laertes, Odysseus of many devices. Now it is time. Say a word to your son. No longer conceal it, so that when you have contrived destruction and doom for the suitors, both of you go to the glorious city, and I will myself not long be away from your side. I am ready and eager for battle. So having spoken, Athena at once touched him with her gold wand. Then to begin she put on his shoulders a cloak and a tunic, both well cleaned, and augmented his stature and youthful appearance. Dark once more was his skin, and the flesh of his cheeks became solid. Also the beard he wore on his chin turned blacker in color. When she had wrought these things, she departed again, and Odysseus went back into the cabin. His dear son marveled to see him, fearing that he was a god, his eyes he quickly averted. Raising his voice he spoke, and in these winged words he addressed him. Stranger, to me you appear quite different now than before this. Different clothing you have, and your skin is no more the same color. Surely indeed you are one of the gods who hold the broad heaven. Now be gracious that we may provide you pleasing oblations, presents as well, wrought finely of gold. Show mercy and spare us. Answering him, then spoke much-suffering noble Odysseus, I am indeed no god. Why liken me to the immortals? But your father I am, for whose sake you, weeping and moaning, suffering many afflictions, endure men's violent doings. So having spoken, he kissed his son. He was letting a tear fall down from his cheek to the ground, though before he had been unyielding. Then did Telemachus, for he could not yet believe him, his father, quickly return him an answer. In words like these he addressed him. You are most certainly not my father, Odysseus, but some god charms me, so that I groan yet longer in sorrow and anguish. For in no way could a man who was merely a mortal contrive it, using his own mind only, unless some god should in person come to him, ready and willing to make him a young or an old man. For just recently you are an old man, vilely apparelled, now you resemble the gods, the immortals who hold the broad heaven. Speaking to him then answered Odysseus of many devices, It is not seemly, Telemachus, when in the cabin is your own father to marvel beyond all measure or be too astonished. For be sure there will come to you here no other Odysseus. Such as he is, I am. Far wandering, suffering evils, I have returned in the twentieth year to the land of my fathers. 
What you have seen is the work of Athena, the driver of plunder, who has made me whatever she wishes, for she has the power, one time quite like a beggar in semblance, and then at another time like a man in his youth, and with beautiful clothes on his body. It is indeed quite easy for gods who hold the broad heaven either to glorify or to disfigure a man who is mortal. So having spoken, he sat back down, and Telemachus started clasping his excellent father and weeping and letting the tears flow. Thus in the two men longing arose for lamenting and mourning. Shrilly they wailed, more constantly, throbbingly, even than cries of birds, sea eagles, or hook-clawed vultures, from whom have the offspring been snatched off by farmers before they grew into fledglings. So they were sorrowing, letting the tears flow under their eyebrows. Now would the light of the sun have gone down on the lamentation, had not Telemachus suddenly spoken, addressing his father. In what sort of a ship, dear father, was it that the sailors brought you to Ithaca? What did they say were their names and their nation? For it was certainly not on foot, I suppose, that you came here. Answering him then spoke much-suffering noble Odysseus. Certainly, child, this tale I will tell you fully and truly. They were Phaeacians, famed for their ships, who brought me, and they give other men also conveyance, whoever arrives in their country. They brought me as I slept in a swift ship over the seaway, then in Ithaca set me, and gave me glorious presents, treasures of bronze and of gold in abundance, and well-woven garments. Now, by the grace of the gods, these things lie stored in the caverns. I have arrived here now by the will and advice of Athena, so that we might take counsel about our enemy's slaughter. But come, number for me those suitors, and tell me about them, so that I know how many they are, which men are among them. Soon then, when in my flawless mind I have pondered the matter, I can decide if the two of us might be able to face them, acting alone without others, or if we should also seek others. Thoughtful Telemachus then spoke out to him, giving an answer. Father, for years I have always heard of your great reputation, both as a spearman of powerful hands and in prudence of counsel. But it is too much what you have said. Ah, holds me. It could not be that two men should alone fight men so strong in such numbers. For in truth, there are not just ten of the suitors, nor twice ten, but far more than that. Soon you will know how many are here now. First, from the Isle of Dulichian come fifty-two of the suitors, youths well born and select. Six bondsmen follow to serve them. Next, from the island of Same have come here twenty-four young men. Then, from the Isle of Zacynthos are twenty young sons of Achaeans. Lastly, from this very Ithaca twelve come, all of the noblest. Medon the herald accompanies them, and the godlike singer, two of their servants as well, both skillful at carving the roast meat. If we attack all those in the house, I fear your revenge for violence, now you have come, will for us be bitter and dreadful. No, take thought whether you can discover another defender, somebody who in resolute spirit would aid and protect us. Answering him, then spoke much-suffering noble Odysseus. Well, then, I will now tell you, so give your attention and listen. 
take thought whether for us now Athena with Zeus the great father will be sufficient, or whether I must discover some other defender. Thoughtful Telemachus then spoke out to him, giving an answer. Those indeed are the noblest defenders of whom you have spoken, both of them seated above in the clouds, both holding dominion over all other men also, and over the gods undying. Answering him, then spoke much-suffering noble Odysseus, Those are indeed two gods who will not be aloof from the mighty clash of the battle a very long time, when the power of Ares there in my halls is brought to the test between us and the suitors. But as for you now, go when the dawn first makes its appearance back to the palace and join those haughty and arrogant suitors. Later the swineherd will bring me also along to the city, closely resembling a beggar, an ancient and miserable vagrant. If in the house they treat me dishonorably, let the dear heart deep in your breast endure it, as long as I suffer afflictions. Even if they through the house drag me by the feet out the doorway, or if they pelt me with missiles, you still keep watching and hold back. Though to be sure you should urge them to cease their mindless behavior, speaking in words mollifying and gentle, but never will they give credence to you, for the day of their destiny stands very near them. Something else I will tell you, and you keep this in your mind now. Soon as Athena, the lady of many contrivances, puts it into my mind, I will nod with my head to you. When you observe it, pick up such of the weapons of battle as lie in the great halls, carry them off to a nook of a high-built chamber, and stow them all there. Then you will put off the suitors with soft and beguiling speeches as soon as they miss them and ask you questions about them. Out of the smoke I have put them, for they no longer resemble what they were when Odysseus departed for Troy and forsook them, but have become quite foul, so much has the fire's breath reached them. Then, too, Cronus' son put in my mind this fear even greater. Deep in your wine cups you might stir up a quarrel among you. Then you would wound each other and bring disgrace on the banquet and on your courting, for iron itself draws a man to employ it. But for the two of us only, a couple of swords and of spears you leave there to take in our hands, and a couple of shields made of oxhide, so we can rush at the suitors and seize them, and Pallas Athena then will be casting a charm over them, Zeus' counselor also. Something else I will tell you, and you keep this in your mind now. If, in fact, you are really my son and are born of our own blood, then let nobody hear that Odysseus is there in the palace. Let not Laertes know about this. No, neither the swineherd. Let no one of the house servants know, nor Penelope even. But you only and I will discover the minds of the women. We will as well make trial of many among the men servants. Find where anyone honors us both in his heart and reveres us, also those who neglect and dishonor you who are so youthful. Thus did his glorious son speak out to him, giving an answer. Father, indeed you will learn what spirit I have when the right time comes, I am sure, for no slackness of will holds me in the slightest. But I am also certain that what you suggested will not be useful to either of us, and I urge you to think of it further. For in vain a long time you would go about testing each person, visiting all of our farms, 
Meanwhile, at their ease in the palace, they are devouring our goods in their arrogance, stopping at nothing. Nevertheless, I urge you to learn for yourself of the women, which ones bring you dishonor, and which ones yet remain guiltless. As for the men, I would not myself want us to go visit them at their cabins to test them, but tend to that business later, if in truth you have learned some omen from Zeus of the Aegis.